Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next 30 minutes, stay with me, please, will you? It's going to be 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, some education. And we always do this without any type of manipulation. No games, no gimmicks, no appeals for money. Not asking you to join anything. Not want you to fess up, give it up. Nothing like that. This show is simply about giving you accurate information. Not human speculation. Information from the canon of scripture called the Bible. And hopefully that will help you orient and adjust to the plan of God. My job verify and identify the plan of God, your job, orient and adjust if you would like to do so. But uh, the flat line deals with the forward line of troops. If you've never heard the show before, F-L-O-T, forward line of troops. And what we're teaching is we're using a military analogy to explain how if you'll learn 10 unique problem-solving devices and use them as a forward line of troops in your soul, then you can stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever become the inside sources of stress. That's why we always say adversity is inevitable and stress is optional. So the Christian life is a very unique life. We live in a unique time in history, and you have the most unique life in history. And we began a series uh, two shows ago on this unique life that we live. And when we stopped off with our last message, we stopped off talking about our unique assets. And what I said was, once we receive Christ as Savior, then we enter into the most amazing life the current world has ever seen. I don't know if you remember that, but I made that statement. I said, this life is unknown and unseen in the Old Testament. But now we experience it. We are in the church, the body of Christ, the church. No one in the Old Testament knew this would even exist. It was called a mystery doctrine. And yet here we are, Jesus Christ living inside of you. The same Christ that resided in the temple of the Shekinah glory is in you. 1 Corinthians 3 teaches, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's Christ living in you. So it is an amazing time when we have all of his assets we are to assume his personality profile. The Bible says, let this mind be in you. It was also in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So we are to think like he thought, and we're to have the same personality profile that he had. And we do all of this, all of these things, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who's able to do all of these things exceedingly abundantly above all we could even ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And that power is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, problem-solving device, number one, rebound, allows you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because as a believer, you'll sin, and when you sin, you'll break fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You don't lose your salvation. It's not that you're no longer a Christian because you committed a sin. But the Holy Spirit is quenched and grieved in you, and you cannot live God's plan for your life in the energy of the flesh without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. The Christian life functions 
on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when I sin, and, and I sin just like you, I have to use <clears throat> problem-solving device number one, go to God and confess my sin. And this is where the Bible says if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all wrongdoing. So that's problem-solving device number one, rebound. Confessing my sin, and it opens the door to problem-solving device number two, the filling of the Holy Spirit. I can live my life as a Christian in the energy of the flesh, or I can live my life in the power of the Spirit. The Bible says the flesh wars against the Spirit. The Spirit wars against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other. So you can't live in both. You can't put one foot in, one foot out. If you've quenched the Holy Spirit and grieved the Holy Spirit, it's because you've sinned. When you sin, you're out of fellowship with God in time. You don't lose your relationship, but you are out of fellowship. And we rebound to get back in fellowship. We rebound to claim the filling of the Holy Spirit again. 1 Corinthians 3 says 16 and 17, Don't you know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's how unique you are. This wasn't in the Old Testament. Only a few people were endued with the Holy Spirit. And now every Christian, every Christian that hears my voice today or the voice of any pastor, teacher, evangelist who communicates the truth, they are indwelled by God, the Holy Spirit. That's how unique we are. Verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy and you are the temple. And that's a warning. When we get into sin and we fail to rebound, then we set ourselves up for the sin unto death. If you don't rebound, if you commit sin and don't confess that sin to God, some people say you have to repent, but they don't know what the word means. It means to change your mind. Repent is metanoia, to change the way you think. And this means you have to acknowledge that it's sin and you confess the sin to God. and He's faithful and he's just to forgive you. Will you be tempted again? Sure you will. And so that's why your Christian life is a life of volitional decisions. You have to make a decision every day. Will I wake up? Will I shower? Will I brush my teeth? Will I go to the Word of God? Will I listen to a pastor teach me the Word of God? Will I apply the things that I learn? Every day we have to make decisions. That's how we advance in the Christian life. There's no one-shot deal. There's no one-shot miracle where you can go to a retreat and become automatically super spiritual that doesn't happen. So as we live in these unique times with the unique assets that we have, we have the ability to reside in the devil's world. But there's always those temptations, always those distractions. Remember, you fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The lure of the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lies of the devil. In in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, the Bible says, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. To sear your conscience with a hot iron is the Greek word kasuriadzo, Kasteriazo is the Greek word seer, and we get an English word from it, cauterized, cauterize. I don't know if you've ever had a 
skin surgery or not. I had a small skin cancer taken off my arm recently, and to stop the bleeding, they cauterized it, you know, and you could smell it. They're burning it away. And and that's what cauterizing is like when a cowboy would brand a cow and put the brand on him, and he would take that hot branding iron and press it into his hip. He's branded. Sin brands us. It cauterizes us. And so when we have our conscience seared with a hot iron, it means we have scar tissue, scar tissue on the conscience. And that scar tissue can keep you from ever feeling guilty. It can keep you from ever feeling conviction. It can stop your conscience from working. And this is exactly what Satan wants to do. Those who spread false doctrines, those who spread lies in the latter times, have their minds branded with demons, demonic thinking, demonic doctrine. It's called doctrines of demons. Now, listen, no believer can be demon-possessed. That's impossible because the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But a believer can be demon-influenced. He can buy into the doctrine of demons. He can believe a lie, and I have seen it happen. I have seen sound, fundamentally sound, wonderful people change their mind about what they think the Bible says and move away from the things they learn to things that are not even true any longer. And so the Bible warns us, put off the old manner of man, put off the old habits, put off the old actions, which are corrupt and lead to deceitful lust, and be transformed, and here's the word repent, be renewed, transformed in the spirit of your mind, change the way you think, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. So what are the mechanics for putting on the new man? If I just said, hey, my friend, put on the new man, what exactly does that mean? Well, one, here it is, one. If you use your volition to advance spiritually, you're putting on the new man. That means that you are taking in God's word on a consistent basis under the authority of a well-qualified pastor. And I'm going to be honest about this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you don't spend time studying God's word daily, it's going to take you a long time to ever advance to be spiritually mature. And you're not going to do it by doing a 15-minute morning devotion by some book you bought at the bookstore. Listen, I recommend you sit under the ministry of a great pastor who can teach you God's word. And there are a lot of guys out there, you've heard me say it over and over again, they offer their Bible studies free of charge. They don't sell anything. My own pastor has been teaching the life of Christ well over 1,000 hours. And you can get those. Any of those 1,000 hours are yours free of charge. Other pastors that I know across this country have tremendous ministries. And that's what I do on a daily basis, sit down with a notebook, with a Bible, listen to my pastor, teach me God's word. You have to do that. You have to use your volition to advance spiritually. If you're not growing, if you're not studying, you're not advancing. You're going backwards to tell the truth. But secondly, the second mechanics for putting on the new man is to change the way you think. So the Bible tells us, quit thinking human viewpoint, learn to think divine viewpoint. Romans 12, 3. Stop thinking of yourself in terms of arrogance, beyond what you should think. 
but think in terms of humility as God has assigned to each one of us a standard of thinking from his word. And then, number three, change the way you relate to life. In other words, now, once you're beginning to advance in God's plan, if you're going to put on a new man, you have to live with grace orientation. You have to orient to the grace of God, which means, number one, you know you're saved by grace, and you know you're living by grace, and you know there's dying grace. There's even surpassing grace when you get to heaven. But living by grace is an amazing thing. Grace. I operate my ministry that way. Sometimes people are amazed that we don't ask for money. Sometimes when I speak in schools or other places that I speak, they want to know what the charge is, and I say nothing. And they're like, well, how, how do you do it? And I say, well, grace. If God's in it, God pays for it. I learned that from my pastor many years ago. Don't go around with your hand out. Any Christian that's got his hand out trying to raise money is not depending on grace. He's trying to do it himself. So I keep my mouth shut. I don't even talk about money. And God supplies the needs. It's that simple. He graces me out. He graces you out. He graced us out in eternity past. He graces us out every day. I bet you can give me illustrations in your life just this past week where God protected you, where he blessed you, where he promoted you, where he graced you out. And you are supposed to grace other people out. That means you don't seek revenge. You're not uh, bitter. You're not implacable. You grace out even those whom you don't like. God graced you out in eternity past where it says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was before you were born, before you even came on the scene God loved you. Did you deserve God's love? No, you're, you're a jerk just like me. We're both just jerks. And yet he loved us and he saved us. Why are we jerks? Because we are identified with Adam's original sin. We were born spiritually dead. We're sinners. We have a sin nature. And even though we believe in Jesus Christ and are born again, it doesn't subdue the sin nature. It's still there. The only thing that will subdue your sin nature is when you get a new body in heaven. Once this body checks out and goes back to dust, then you'll get a new body, a resurrection body. It will not have a sin nature because it will not be associated with atoms like the one you're in now. That's why you hurt. That's why you're getting old. That's why things are going on in your body. You don't understand. It's Adam's association. It had to happen that way. By one man, by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin is passed on all. Spiritual death, yes, and physical death, yes. So we change the way we relate by using grace orientation. And here's another way, point four, you change our goals. If we want to put on the new man, we have to think ways of different, a different goal in life. And that's having a sense of destiny. See, having a personal sense of destiny, that's problem-solving device number six. Grace orientation, that's problem-solving device number five. Divine viewpoint is biblical orientation. There's another problem-solving device. These are all problem-solving devices. And put them together, and they make the flat line of your soul. So th these are all done, all of these things using your volition to advance spiritually, changing the way you think, changing the way you relate, changing your goals. 
They are all done by means of the filling of the Holy Spirit plus the grace apparatus for perception. The grace apparatus for perception is a Bible and a pastor and privacy, and you have those three things available to you. If you use your volition to get it, then you can allow the Holy Spirit to coach you, mentor you, tutor you, as Jesus said he would do. He uses the word to tutor us. He uses the word to guide us. If you don't have the word of God, then there are no barriers that he can direct you to. That's what he uses. That's why I just keep insisting that you grow spiritually by getting under the ministry of a qualified pastor. So another thing unique about us is the imputation of eternal life. Eternal life. In John 10, 28, 29, I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish, neither shall any man ever pluck them out of my Father's hand. The imputation of eternal life alone is completely amazing. I mean, just think about it. You are going to live forever. Death can have no victory over you. Yes, in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have eternal life. That's an amazing asset. But we also have assets that we can use in time. You got a Bible, don't you? God gave you a Bible, a canon of Scripture. If you're like me, you got more than one Bible. And it's not designed to ride around in the back window of your car. It's designed to be a textbook, not a novel. Reading the Bible through once a year doesn't do anything for you. I'm glad you did it. Wonderful. Hooray. It's not a novel. It's a textbook. It's designed to be taught to you by God, the Holy Spirit, through a qualified pastor. So the canon of Scripture is a Bible. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, and the joints and the marrow is a critic of thought and incense of the heart. Yes, you have a Bible. That's an asset available for use in time. Secondly, you have an asset available for the use in time of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he's the one that enables us to use these assets. And then, thirdly, the endowment of individual spiritual gifts. You have a spiritual gift, a gift for service in the body of Christ. It's not earned, it's not deserved, it's not acquired by some emotional experience. When you were saved, it was given to you, and it becomes operational by means of your spiritual growth. Every person listening to me has a spiritual gift if you're a believer. Not all have the same gift. Some are pastor teachers, some are evangelists. Some have the gift of help, some have the gift of mercy, some have the gift of giving. Some have the gift of administration. There's no thing like the gift of singing. That's a talent, not a spiritual gift. So people need to understand what the spiritual gifts are because you got one, and that's where you fit into the body of Christ. It's critical you understand that the spiritual gifts is important. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. 
So that's the Holy Spirit giving us those spiritual gifts. Giving, Romans 12, 8. Helps, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Mercy, Romans 12, 8. Administration, Romans 12, 8. Service gift, Romans 12, 7. There's some of them listed right there with the scripture verses. My pastor once said that spiritual gifts are the basis for the teen concept in the royal family of God. In other words, your spiritual gift determines the position you play on that team. No matter how inconspicuous or how insignificant your gift may seem to be, you are on the team and your gift is critical and just as necessary as any other gift. Another one is you have been given the provision of a well-qualified pastor as an asset in time, someone to oversee you, to shepherd you. 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock of God, Peter wrote, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly and not for dishonest gain. You hear that? Not for dishonest gain, but what? But to be a shepherd, an overseer, one who looks over, who exercises and observes the authority within the congregation. Your pastor is held responsible by God for the direction and the administration of his body of believers. His job, he must keep an eye on all that goes on using your gift, the service gifts in the congregation to keep him advised, keep him informed. He can't do all the work. And so he's an overseer. To have oversight, episcopeo, overseer, means he looks upon, he exercises uh, full control to look at, to understand. It's a compound word, epi and scopeo, two words together. It means to fully look at, to fully observe. And so God gave you that man, that pastor. You want to know, you, you know, finding your right man or your right woman is a significant thing in your life. Who am I going to spend the rest of my life with? You know what I'm talking about? You know, much equally important. I was going to say much more. Maybe so. It's finding your right pastor, the person you will spend the rest of your life with as the shepherd of your soul, the pastor who will look over you. See, one of the problems we have in modern Christianity today is we hire these pastors and two or three years later we run them off and get another one. Or they use the church as a stepping stone to go to the next bigger church and the next bigger church and the next bigger church. Where are these men that are willing to stick it out with their congregation, that are shepherd that congregation 15, 20 years, 25 years? My own pastor pastored his church 53 years before the Lord took him home. His son is now the pastor, and he's been there 13 years teaching God's Word. And what about your pastor? How long has he been there? Has he stuck it out, or is he a Johnny-come-lately, come and go? Uh, does he teach God's Word, or does he seek to fire you up emotionally with some kind of emotional service to get you all fired up for, quote, Jesus and send you out into the devil's world? That doesn't work that you, you don't get fired up for Jesus. You grow up and replicate Jesus, replicate his life, represent him. It's not an emotional thing. It's an intellect. It lives, your whole spiritual life is lived in your soul, 
Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Whatever a man thinketh, that he is, the Bible says. That's where you live your spiritual life, between your ears. And that's what God checks on when he wants to check on you, what you're thinking. So uh, it's important that you learn that. Another way of understanding assets that God has given us is that we have new vocabulary. Now that we have a spiritual IQ, not just a human IQ, we can develop new terms, new concepts, learning to think in a different way. It's called thinking divine viewpoint, and it's the motivation behind any decision you have to make while you're still here on this earth, or as my friend, one pastor said, as long as you're still in the arena of contention. So God, you know, he inspects our human thoughts. He evaluates our progress as believers. He checks out our motives and our intentions and our desires. If you didn't know that, Revelation 23b says, I am he who searches the mind and the hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your production. So we have an amazing promise associated with thinking divine viewpoint. If we do that, the Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Perfect peace, no worry, no fear, no animosity, no hostility. What a wonderful way to live. And who does it? Thou will keep him in perfect peace. God the Holy Spirit does this for you. He sustains you. And uh, Psalm 119, verse 165, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. And this is not a peace that comes from the justification of salvation. This is much more. It's much more than just being justified by faith. This is a peace that you are living your life to the fullest extent of God's plan and you are comfortable in your personal sense of destiny and you know that God is in business 24 hours a day. The Supreme Court of Heaven is open. You can always take any complaints to him. It's a life living free of anxiety, free of worry, free of depression, free. Wonderful. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's an amazing life. That's a unique life. And only a mature believer can enjoy those things. I hope you're listening. I hope you're learning. And I hope you will come back next week. As always, same time, same time, same channel, same station. Until then, I am your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.